0: Today I want us to look at a sermon entitled, Changing Lanes. And uh, man, changing lanes is an interesting thing. Matter of fact, so many wrecks occur when you are changing lanes. Does anybody know why wrecks occur when you're changing lanes? Because there's a thing called what? The blind spot. And you know, the thing about it is that you're very aware of where you are. Matter of fact, you may have even looked in your mirror, and you may have checked to see that there was nothing in your mirror, but yet, how many of you has ever started to make the lane shift, and all of a sudden, here's somebody blessing you out on their horn, and you have to, what, overreact, and you jerk your car back in your lane to keep from hitting them, side-swiping them, swiping them. And so, as we begin to think about this, uh, the mirrors today on vehicles have become very complex. To, to what? Try to identify the blind spot. It's amazing how something can be so close and you not see it. So close and you not see it. When you begin a, this journey of change, and, and today as you begin to, to shift into a different lane, to move into a different direction, understand that the devil will probably not be out there on your highway to happiness with a big sign saying here I am here I am waving the sign saying hey make sure you don't hit me because that's not how he works matter of fact the bible says in genesis 2 it talks about that he was subtle was a very he was in he was in stealth mode many times you do not see him And so in our own lives, when we begin to make this process of change, um, the devil will not attack you where you're the weakest. You say, what? You had not lived my life. Well, when you're the weakest and you identify your weakness, what do you do? You try to strengthen up that weakness. And you have people holding you accountable in that area of weakness. You put things into place to keep you and guard you and protect you from that weakness. And you have accountability partners in those areas of weakness. Many times, when you begin to change lanes, the devil will attack us in the area that we're the strongest. Because it's the area that is least guarded. Because it's our strength. There's one thing I've learned after pastoring for almost 16 years, and it's this. Brother Bob, i got a lot to learn. I don't have many as years as you, but here's one thing I learned. Those who you don't think you those who you think won't will, and those who you think will won't. You say, what in the world does that mean? Those who you think will do something won't do it, and those who you think won't do something will do it. Those who you think would never attack you, never hurt you, never come against you, they'll be the ones that do it. It almost I, I remember one time when I went to my second church, uh, these people was all excited about me coming and I had an old pastor told me, he said, Now, son, there's one thing you need to understand. Those helping you move in will be the ones helping you move out. And you know he was true. It ended up being the truth. And so in this process of life, the devil will not attack you where you're the strongest. It will be the area where you're the, I mean, it won't be the area where the weakest because that's where it is fortified. That's where it is strengthened, but it's in the area where you're the strongest. Now, why do we change lanes? Well, you may change lanes because the person in front of you is driving too slow. Can I get a witness? Well, <coughs> we change lanes many times because we have to. Because there's a big flashing sign that says merge left now. Change lanes. Road lane closed. And so you have to begin to move over. Why? Well, if you don't move over, you'll get to the point and there'll there'll be a bunch of barrels and signs and you'll just have to put it in park and sit there. Now, how many of you has ever struck out on a journey and you got to a place and there was a lane closed and when you got to where the lane was closed, you just put it in park and said, well, I can't go any further. Is that what you do? No, you move over. You begin to merge over. And so as you begin to merge over and get in that other lane of traffic, you move and you do what it takes to get to the place of what? Your destination. Isn't it amazing that many of us are determined in everything except our spiritual journey? We make a commitment to change lanes. Lord, I need to change. And man, we take off on this journey of change. We begin to take hold of change. And God begins to deal with us. And and it gets hard. And there's a lane closure. And we just have ourselves a a pity party. In the south, they call it, the way south Louisiana, they call it Boudin. means they sit there and they whine. And Lord, it's just so hard. You know, Lord, this was supposed to be so easy. No, it's not supposed to be easy. It's life. Nothing about life is easy. And so as we begin to process this, you've got to be determined in your life to make a difference and to move forward. And that when obstacles come your way, that you determine that I am going to see my way through it. And you make those changes necessary. And as you begin to change lanes, you do that because you're trying to get to a place. You're trying to get to the place of your destination. And we we need to begin to move in that direction. Look at what the Bible says in Genesis chapter 35 and verse 1, if you will. It's an awesome passage of Scripture. Here's what it says. God spoke to Jacob. There he was. We looked at his life last week. The very first word in Genesis 35 and 1 says this. God said to Jacob. Now, when we begin to change lanes or change directions, one of the things that we need to have is a word from God. I know uh, uh, many times, men, we have to change lanes because your wife tells you to. And you can either change and be happy, or you can stay where you are and not be happy. That's not what I'm talking about. I'm talking about changing lanes because God tells you to. And as you begin to make this journey, that you take that journey in your life and you begin to move forward and you go where God says. Now we make a lot of changes in our life, but a lot of reasons we make the changes in our life is because we get bored. And we just need a change. I'm talking about changing because God is leading. I'm not talking about changing because you're bored, but going in the direction where God's taking you. And many of you will not be able to get to where God has destined you to be unless you change lanes. Some of us will have to change directions. Your Garmin's not the only one who says, pull over and make a safe U-turn when possible. God does. God's telling us, some of us need to make a U-turn, change lanes and go the other direction. Some of us need to move and change over and let go of some things that are slowing us down, holding us back. Come on, guys! You know what I'm talking about. There's people that are holding you back. I wish they'd write as many tickets on the interstate for people going, driving slow as they do for going fast. Impeding traffic. All right. I remember one time I got I got pulled over for going too slow. First time, first time it happened, I got pulled over in Ball, Louisiana, for driving slow at one in the morning. It was on the 4th of July, and uh, man, I'm right there in the middle of four-lane. I was the only person on the highway, and I got pulled over. He pulled me over for driving too slow. I said, uh, sir, you know, I'm kind of flabbergasted, number one, and uh, this is a first-time experience for me. And uh, he, I said, well, why why'd you pull me over? And uh, it was really because I was driving a Mustang convertible. But anyway, he pulled me over because I was driving too slow, and he said, well, well Sir, you were impeding traffic. I said, well, officer, it's only me and you out here. Who am I slowing down? He said, well, you need to drive a speed limit. There's a sign right there that says slower traffic. Use this lane. I said, well, I was in that lane. I didn't see that sign, but fortunately I was in that lane. And so, man, we are having this conversation. And uh, finally I said, okay, just go ahead. Would you give me that ticket? He said, do what? I said, I need that ticket because people in my church would never believe I got a ticket going too slow there's things that will impede you will slow you down and so we need to move over and get around them go around the traffic go around the obstacles so that we can get to our destination don't put your spiritual journey in part because you've run into some hard times you've run into some roadblocks you've run into some adversity for all those who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution is what the Bible says. So God said to Jacob, man, here's what he says. Jacob, get up. That's not hard to discern. You don't even need to look that up in the Hebrew. Get up means get up. Get up and go. Get up and go. Go where? Go to Bethel. And when you get there, settle there. Build an altar there. Build an altar there to God who appeared to you when you fled from your brother Esau. In our life, we can only go as far as our obedience will take us. We can only go as far as our obedience will take us to what God is calling us to do. And because Jacob was willing to walk in integrity last week and make things right with his brother, make things right with his father-in-law, make things right with his God, God was transforming Jacob from the inside out and not the outside in. And he was on this journey and God spoke to him. And said, now Jacob, I know everything seems great, but son, I've got something else in store for you. Don't settle here. Move forward to the place where I have for you. So he comes to him in this verse and says, get up, go to Bethel. Now you may circle that phrase, go to Bethel. (coughs) Going to Bethel meant going to the place where he had met God. Where he had had his spiritual experience where God had invaded his life. He was running from Esau. He was running from his brother who was chasing him down, wanting to kill him. (coughs) Now, Jacob had been places in his life because people had told him to go there. Matter of fact, his mother and father, we looked a couple of weeks ago, said, hey, man, you need to go stay with your uncle a while. Things are a little heated around here. When your brother forgets about what you've done to him, then you can come back. But that's not what was happening here. 20 years after he had been there, who came to Jacob and said, Get up, Jacob, you've been here too long. God did. On his journey, it was God that was speaking to him. God that was speaking to him. And so on this passage of Scripture, what was interesting is that God came to him and said, Jacob, I want you to go now to the place where we met. I want you to go to the place where you had your Holy Spirit encounter with me. Where you caught the vision." Matter of fact, if you've ever had one of those moments, you can remember where it was at. You could take you. Matter of fact, today, many people, I could take you to the place where I had my salvation encounter with God, my first encounter with the Holy God. I could take you to the place where I had my second encounter with God. I could take you to the place where I had my third intense encounter with God, my fourth intense encounter with God. You know, today there's a whole lot of conversation in the church, in the Christian movement, and it's talking about the second blessing. You need the second blessing. And there's an argument over what that second blessing should be. And many times it's always connected with some kind of spiritual gift or something. But I want you to know I'm not interested in the second blessing. I don't serve a God who's only got one blessing and who's only got two blessings. But he's got three and he's got four and he's got five and he's got six and he's got seven. He's got as many blessings for you as you are willing to walk out in obedience. And today, God is up to something in our lives bigger than we are. And here's what began to happen. God said to Jacob's son, get up and move out. It's time for you to change lanes, move to a different direction. Now, before you can ever change lanes, the first thing you must know is you must know where you're going. Now, in life, it's fun sometimes to throw a bag in the trunk of the car and just strike out and stop antique at this spot, watch a movie in this town, eat Eat in this town, just kind of meander along the journey. But even then you gotta know which am I going north, south, east, or west? Even then you gotta know a direction. But I'm not talking about doing that spiritually. I'm talking about, I'm not talking about wandering around spiritually trying to feel your way through the cool stuff. I'm talking about getting to the place that God has for you. That hey, God is destined for you. That God is created for you. And the only way you will know that is to get a word from God. And here's what God said. Jacob, get up and go where? To Bethel. Get up and go back to that holy place. And what God is wanting to do in our lives today is take us to a new level. Take us to the reason we were created. Take us to the reason we were born in the first place, the reason that he formed us and fashioned us. Look at what he said. Go to Bethel. Go to Bethel. Get up. Get going. But then he said something else. Settle there. Build an altar there. Establish yourself. Establish yourself right where you are. In Bethel. Make a difference. Put down some roots. Begin to transform things. And so in this passage of scripture, he, he begins to move forward. He got up. He got going. He was willing to build. He was willing to plant. He was willing to make a difference. He was willing to take this journey. He was willing to expand himself. He was willing to enlarge his territory. On the journey of changing lanes, the first thing you must know is you must know your destination. The second thing is you must make some preparation. You must begin to prepare. Look at what the Bible says in verse 2. So Jacob said to his family and all who were with him, Get rid of all your foreign gods, little g, that are among you. Purify yourselves. Change your clothes. We must get up. We must go to Bethel. I must build an altar there to God who answered me in the day of my distress and has been with me everywhere that I have gone. In this time of preparation, here's what began to happen. You remember a couple of weeks ago when Laban chased Jacob down? What did he say? You took my granddaughters. You took my daughters. You took my grandkids. And you left. But then at the end of this speech, he said, now where's my gods, little G? Because Jacob's sweetheart had stole the little gods out of her daddy's house. You remember? She put them in her camel bag and was sitting on them. You remember that story a couple weeks ago? So they didn't find those little gods. But after that, Jacob didn't know she had those gods, but after that, it was revealed that she did. And so Jacob let them keep those little gods for a certain time in a certain place. But I am telling you, Then all of a sudden in the midnight hour Jacob got a word from God and the word of God was go back to the secret place. Go back to the special place. Go back to the anointed place. And when Jacob got his marching orders to go back to the place where he had met with God, here's what began to happen. He summoned his family and he said, Guys, we're going to the place. We're going to the place. We're going to the place to change my life. Matter of fact, he said we're going to the place. Where God heard me and God spoke to me in my distress. And so he told him, here's what you got to do. You got to abandon that bunch of little gods that you got. Bring them to me. Bring those gods to me. Bring them here. Bring them here. And when they brought those gods to Jacob, what they were really really doing was giving away their identity. They were giving away what they identified themselves with. But Jacob was at a place and he's saying look what you need today is not the little bitty God that you can put in your camel bag but you need the God who created the universe the God who holds the the moon and the stars in his hand and the sun in the palm of his hand and holds all things together and by him all things exist that's the God that we're going to serve that's the God that we're following that's the God that we're obeying and they strike out on this journey and he says You need to give me those gods. You need to give me those things that are holding us back. And then you need to cleanse yourself. You need to adorn yourself. You need to put yourself together. Because we're going to the holy place. And so, man, they strike out on this journey. And as they go there, look in verse 4. It says, then they gave Jacob all of their foreign gods. They gave them their earrings. And Jacob took them and hid them under the oak tree near Shechem. And when they set out, It says the terror of God was over the cities around them. And they did not pursue Jacob's sons. So Jacob and all who were with him came to the land of Bethel. In the land land of Canaan. And Jacob built an altar there and called the name of that place Bethel. Because it was there that God revealed himself to him when he was fleeing from his brother. In the land of Canaan. Jacob made it back. Jacob made it to the place that he was born for. He made it to the place that he was destined for. He made it for the place that he was to lead. But before he could get back to the place where he was supposed to be, there had to be a letting go. I want you to understand something. My brothers and sisters in Christ today, that you cannot move forward if you are holding on to the past. You will never learn to swim as long as you're holding on to the side of the swimming pool. You will never win a marathon as long as you're holding on to the starting blocks. You've got to be willing to let go to move forward. And today, there are some things in our past that God has settled a long time ago, but we're still holding on to them. And God wants to have a letting go party in your life. Today, what would that look like today? it looks look something like this. It'd be like God saying, hey, bring me that little statue of Buddha that you're worshiping. Bring it to me. Or better yet, it may look like this. Go in your closet. Bring me that Ouija board that you've been playing with. Bring me those tarot cards that you're flipping all the time. Bring me that subscription you have to your horoscope trying to feel your way through life. Bring me those things. Bring me all of those things. Bring me all of those little gods. And take those gods and bury them. Put them down there. Don't build a memorial to them, but bury them. Put a knife in the heart of it and say, God, I am giving it all to you. Lord, I am upgrading God. I am trading in all the junk of the world for the creator of the universe. I am telling you today, my brothers and sisters in Christ, the fact that the God who created everything in the whole wide world and by Him all things exist, would desire to have a relationship with a wretched person like me, I want you to know that is spellbinding in my life. We've got to begin to make the preparation to get where we're going. Today, one of the busiest times for mechanics and, and repair shops is the summertime and it's because before they strike out on vacation dad will get in that SUV and their vehicle and he'll take it down to one of the local tire dealers and he'll say I need to put two new tires on this car I need to put four new tires on this car when he finishes there he'll take it to the shop and he'll put it on a rack not because something's broken and he'll tell that mechanic he'll say look why don't you go ahead and and inspect my hoses inspect my belts, check my fluids, run a test on it, make sure that everything is good. Why would he do that? Because that dad doesn't want to put his family in their minivan and strike out across the plains of America and have that vehicle leave his family on the side of the road. So he will go to a great length of trouble to have his vehicle inspected because that dad, if he's any kind of dad at all, ain't going to put his family on the road with, a, with on a, in a vehicle with tires that have wires hanging out of them. He's not going to put his family on the road if the mechanic calls him and says, hey man, that belt, on that main drive belt on your car is filled with cracks. Do you want to change it? Well, sure I want to change it. I've got precious cargo in that van. There's no way I can leave them on the side of the road. And that dad will make every effort to prepare a man-made vehicle to take his children to Disneyland. And here's what I want to know today. Is what in the world would happen if us men of God would begin to rise up like Jacob Look our family in the eye and say, it's time that we have a going back to Bethel moment. It's time that we have that time in our life where we give up all those things that are holding us back. It's time that we check up our spiritual tires. It's time that we do an inspection on our spiritual belt and figure out what in the world is holding us back. God came to Jacob. Jacob gathered his family together and said, I'm going to build an altar. Jacob didn't delegate it. I want you to know today, men, it's time that you rise up and be the man that God's called you to be. It's time you can't delegate the spiritual journey of your family. You can't delegate the spiritual nurturing of your children and your spouse. It's your job. You need to man up and say, God, I am willing to do it. And wives, you need to hold your men accountable to that. Now that's not by every day getting your big old thick Bible book that's filled with study notes that you could kill a burglar with and point it in your husband's face and saying, you better start living this book out. But if he's not willing to do it, it's that you adorn yourself every day like it says in the book of Peter and you begin to pray and you begin to intercede and you begin to pray for God not to shake a Bible in his face but put the holy finger of God on his heart. And then if he's still unwilling to do it. Ladies at that point. It's your responsibility. To raise up. Rise up from amongst them. Get up. Just like Jacob. God said get up. It's time for you to get up. And it'll be time for you to get going. Somebody's got to do it. Somebody's got to do it. And then. Many cases today in the world we live in, the dad's not willing, the mom's not willing. I want you to know at that point, children, it's your responsibility. If your dad's not willing to be the spiritual leader, your mom's not willing to be the spiritual leader, you rise up, you rebel against the status quo. Just because they're not grabbing and, and embracing the treasures and the things that God have in store for them, it doesn't mean you don't have to. It doesn't mean that you have to settle, rebel against the status quo and say, God, all I want is what you want. And if you can get to the place where all you want is what God wants, that will be a sweet spot. My greatest, most favorite hymn of all times says how tedious and tasteless the hour when Jesus no longer I see. Sweet birds, sweet sunshine and sweet flowers. Have all lost their sweetness to me. The midsummer sun shines but dim. Fields strive in vain to look gay. I'll tell you what decade that was wrote in. Wouldn't be a good word to use today. Writing a song. The field strive in vain to look gay. But when I am happy in Jesus. My December is as pleasant as my telling you today that if you are in the sweet place if you're in the place that God has destined you to be the flowers are always sweet a prison a palace could appear if Jesus would dwell with you there but a castle a toy would appear if Jesus doesn't dwell with you there it's getting to the place of It's getting to the place of letting go and letting God take you on that journey. You have to know your destination. You have to make your preparation. But there's something else that you have to do. you got to make those things right. Jacob even told him, he said, look, it's more than just giving up your gods. It's time that we cleanse ourselves. It's time that you have put on your best clothes. And family of grace, you know, we don't have a really strict dress policy here. We just want you to come dressed. Amen. Don't come here making somebody who's having a problem lust and lust. Amen. Just come dressed. But Jacob said it's more than that. Go put on your best clothes. You know, in America, we don't know where we are on dress anymore. I never, one of my most humbling times was when I went to Haiti. Oh, the very first trip. I had what I call, in our house, we call it my missionary clothes. It's the lightweight, thin pants. Zip the legs off in case it's hot. Put them back on in case it's cold. Shirt gets wet; it dries quick. Quick dry. And man, I put on my 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 tan missionary pants, my white missionary shirt, and my hiking boots, and I went to the house of God. Went to preach that morning, and I'm I'm walking down a rocky road, and and it's it's the coolest thing in the world when you. When it's like you'd leave the, the driveway of the place where we stay and you go and intersect the road and and you're literally, just like us, we have to wait on traffic to pull out. On Sunday morning, when you get there, you kind of have to wait on wait on traffic to pull out, but it's all foot traffic. And they're walking down that rocky road, going to the house of the Lord. And I remember when the first time Ralph and I was there, when I look and these women are walking down that road and, and, they, and they're dressed up and, and they're all carrying a pair of high heels in their hands. And when I got to the church, all those who had got there before me, the, whole, the porch was circular like this. And all the way down one side of the porch was flip-flops and tennis shoes. And see, what happened was those women began to adorn themselves outwardly. And when they began to go in, they may not have much, but when they went to the house of the Lord, they had their best shoes on. And they weren't going to wear their best shoes to get skin up down an old rocky road. And they began to go in the house of the Lord and make themselves ready to meet with God. I believe more than making ourselves ready outwardly, we need to begin to make ourselves ready inward. Make that preparation for what God has destined you for. God said, I know the plans that I have for you to give you a hope and a future. Don't settle. Don't settle. For fantasy land. When you can live in God's land. say one of the best times to take a child to Disney World is when they're four to five years old. Because at that time, Disney World is bigger than life to them. They can look at that castle and still think, wow, this is really real. That princess is really real. Tinkerbell really is flying through the air, even though he's, she's zipping on a card. It's bigger than life to them. Deal time for us, some of us to leave the fantasy land and get to the place that's better than that, a place that God's created you to be make that journey not only must we know our destination, make our preparation we must embrace our coronation what is a coronation? It's the process of the ceremony that transfers royalty, the ruling royalty, from one king, from one queen to the other. Many times if that queen is still living, they will be there side by side. And they'll take the crown and move that crown from the existing queen to the other. Place it on her head. Give her the sepulcher and the right to rule. Today, God's got a coronation for you. The Bible says that you are royalty. It says, now then, we are a royal priesthood in Peter. We are a chosen generation. Chosen generation. I'm telling you today. That if you have never received that act of coronation. Do it today. God wants to come and live in your heart. In your life. He wants to be Lord of it. Some of you have gone through that process of the act of coronation years ago. You remember your Bethel moment. But man you've done God so far off. You have traded your Bethel. You have traded your Bethel for that which is fake and phony and not real today. We're royalty, but you may be living like a beggar. You may be living like a beggar. I remember one time there was this... uh, church it was getting ready to make a move relocate it's going to cost millions of dollars to do it and in the process there was this widow lady that the deacons had decided to help because she was just living. I mean didn't have anything had a house but just didn't have anything else so the pastor went to pay her a visit and began to approach the subject of how they could help her. And when when he came in, he, you know, that's always an awkward conversation to have with prideful people. Doesn't want help. He said, I wanted to talk to you about how I can help you. And before he could even get that statement out, she said to him, Pastor, I'm so glad you came. Y'all were at the church the other day. We were at the church and and y'all were talking about the the relocation, needing to move to a new area where there's more land for us to grow and I'm so glad you came. I was wanting to help with that. She said I tell you what. Let's let's go down to the bank. And he's like, "No, no, 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 it's okay. It's fine if you don't want to help." She's like, "I want let me do something." So he went to give her money, and they got in the car and went to the bank. <coughs> He was thinking she'd go withdraw some money or something from her checking account. They went in the vault. Where all the safety deposit boxes are. She opened that box and laid it on the table. She said, now, pastor, you get all that you need out of that box, but don't get any more. And they opened the lid on that box, and it was full of trust and bonds stocks and how much money that lady had living like a beggar the pastor went to help her but she had enough to help him today so many of us are living like beggars when we have a vault that's full of the power the presence and the provision You, my brothers and sisters, you can be royalty. You can be a child of God. Why wouldn't you be? Why wouldn't you be? Why would you settle for a God who is equivalent to a trinket when you can have the God who holds everything in the palm of The God who can make it 27 in one morning and 72 by that same afternoon. And we have a hard enough time keeping you warm and cool in here. We, We can't even run the thermostats. But he runs the heavens. And today, his arms are stretched out. One of my favorite songs I used to love to sing